Today we're coming to the conclusion of our sermon series series, yeah, sermon series entitled Woo, Deeper, <laughs> Learning How to Relate to God. All right, so throughout these weeks, my goal has been to help you with considering what it means to look both back and within through the lens of Scripture, to look back and within your lives through the lens of Scripture, to help God engage your life in a different way, uh, to get below the surface. Because so much of life is above the surface, right? Where we show to other people, there's ways there's, we can look good on the outside, but on the inside, we could be struggling. And I've shared openly about how for years, for many years, when anyone brought anything up like this, I'm like, okay, that's psychobabble. That's for psychology. That's not for the church. Give me the Bible. Only give me the Bible. That's all I need. But then I was challenged. Challenged to love the Lord my God with my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so to think that it's not just what I think or know, though that's important. It's not just what I do with my strength, though that's important. It's not just what I feel or the decisions I make from the core of my being and my heart, though that's important. It's all of me, my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind. And so the goal of this series has been to begin introducing some principles and ideas to help loosen the soil of your hearts, to say, God, is there something more? God, can you get into the deeper parts of my life? And the parts maybe that I've resisted giving to God or the parts that we've resisted giving to others or being open to. And so as we open up our lives to God, he does some spiritual surgery. And so the goal of this series has been to introduce some of those principles and ideas. Because again, we can look good on the outside. We could put out a good front. Um, it makes me think of uh, years ago, right? I remember coming across this idea of a Potemkin village. Right, a phrase that's made its way into our vocabulary, which talks about a facade or looking good or, or building something uh, to hide something else. And as historians have looked at it, and there's some debate about the degree of how this actually happened, but that Catherine the Great, right, the leader of Russia in the 1700s, right, she was leading her field general, uh, Grigory Potemkin, wanted to give her a tour of Russia. So for the course of four years, over a thousand miles, she went and looked around all of Russia to show the, the greatness of Russia. But there was one part, the southern part, right, that was poor, didn't look good. And so this field general had an idea that he would build a fake village. And not only build a fake village, right, a facade, but put happy peasants there. So as Catherine came through the village, everything seemed great. The village looked beautiful and new. The peasants were happy, right? Her rule and reign was a success, even in the poorest, most difficult parts of Russia. But the, what the general would do is as they passed through, after they passed through, they'd break down the village, move it forward, and as she came forward to the next area, there was again a happy village with happy peasants. And it kept going, and this led to this idea of a Potemkin village, meaning a facade, something that was put up to, to hide something that doesn't look good behind the scenes. In many ways, I think about that description. I think about my life in Christ and as a sp my spirituality and my walk with God that on the outside, I could look good. I could build a Potemkin village. I could look good on the outside. But on the inside, what's really going on? I think we all need to ask that question to make ourselves more and more available to God. And so that was the goal of this series is to introduce it. And really the goal of this series is to get deeper. Right? The Apostle Paul, in one of his letters in the first century to the churches in the region of Galatia, he wrote this to the Christians in Galatians 4.19. He said, My dear children, from whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, he says, until Christ is formed in you. Right here, Paul is offering this image uh, to these dear Christians. He's saying he, he prays for them. He cares about them. His goal for them is that Christ be formed 
in them. In other words, that they become more and more like Jesus. And even draws upon this image of, of childbearing and, and the pains of childbirth. He says, because nothing good comes unless there's sacrifice. And pain, especially the pains of childbirth, leads to new life and newness. And here Paul's saying he's going through these pains. He went through these pains for them so that Christ will be formed in them. In so many ways, this echoes my prayers for you, New Providence Presbyterian Church. That my prayer, my goal is that whatever I do as your pastor, that Christ will be formed in you. That you become more and more like Jesus. And you would catch this vision that as followers of Christ, it's more than just going to church and doing good things or knowing more and more about God. But ultimately, it's a journey. It's a transformational journey. That as you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the promise of God is that you are given a new life, a brand new life. And with that life comes God's personal, powerful presence, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And in you, that Holy Spirit does a work of transformation over the years. A work where you become more and more like Jesus, where Christ is formed in you. But how does that happen? Again, if we keep things at the surface, if we don't go below the surface, don't go beneath the surface, we can limit what God has. God says, no, I want to go deeper. I want to get inside to the deeper parts of your life and help transform you from the inside out to become more and more like Christ. So how do we do that? Well, we have to make ourselves available to God, and that's the focus of this final sermon, what it means for us to develop a spiritual training plan, right, to make ourselves available to God so he could work in us and work on us. And to do that, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you're familiar with this passage, right, as you go to the book of Acts, Acts, which is the second volume of a two-part volume written by Luke, right, the doctor, you have the Gospel of Luke, which details Jesus' mission and ministry. And then in our New Testament, it's separated by the Gospel of John. But then you have Luke, I mean, you have Acts, which continues from Luke and details the beginnings of the church. And here, in the beginning, we see that Jesus, who was resurrected from the dead, is with his disciples. Right? His disciples are saying, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, for the times you're not to know, but know this, you are going to be my witnesses, Jesus said, from here in Jerusalem to the ends of the world. And Jesus said, wait on the promised Holy Spirit to come. And so his disciples, I say, as Jesus then returns to heaven, they wait. They wait in Jerusalem. And we read in Acts chapter 2, this incredible day at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes in power on God's people, on these disciples. And as it comes in power, and they're speaking different languages, Peter stands up, right, in Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 14, we read that Peter stood up, this same Peter, who denied Jesus three times. The same Peter who always put his foot in his mouth when he said in front of Jesus. The same Peter who did a lot of things wrong. Here, empowered by the Holy Spirit, stood up. And he spoke with power and confidence and boldness about the fact that this Jesus who was crucified was resurrected to life. And all those who listened to Peter, they were cut to the heart. Because many of those who were there who heard Peter speak were the ones who earlier were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And they realized that they had played a role in the death of Jesus. And they said, what are we to do? Peter said, repent, have a change of life, turn, turn back and be baptized. And you'll have the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And that day we read in Acts chapter 2, about 3,000 people, 3,000 turned to God and gave their lives to Christ. And so what did they do after this incredible event? After this moment of power, 
Well, they went home. They turned on the TV and watched football <laughs> and got back to their busy schedules and said, you know, that was kind of fun, but it's one day. No. They, their lives are changed. And we read that in Acts 2, 42 through 47. So I want you to hear this passage. If, you, this, if you've heard this passage before, I, I've been praying you hear this with fresh ears today. I'm, like we've been doing it throughout this whole series, maybe doing it forever. We'll see. Close your eyes. I invite you to close your eyes and listen to these words as the disciples were together. In verse 42, we read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I invite you to open your eyes. So here's a picture of devotion. Right? A picture of God's people. This is a snapshot of the early church. In some ways, yes, it could seem like an idealized picture, but here we see patterns and, and, and practices that apply to us today. But don't move too quickly to the practices. Look at this description in verse 42. We read, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Right? This is the, they made intentional choices. Right? This word, to the, the word that describes being devoted speaks to perseverance. They didn't give up. They stuck, they stayed with it. They devoted themselves. In other words, they could have made a lot of other choices, but they made this their primary choice. Right, there's lots of other things. Here's a picture of God's people and these disciples who, they didn't bring their leftovers to God. They didn't bring what was, at the, what, when they had some free time or some free energy and the last of their resources to God. No, they devoted themselves. They made him number one. And how did they devote themselves? They devoted themselves with the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right? These, the teachings of the apostles of the disciples, which would have focused on Jesus, right? his, his teaching at that time. And going forward would have then included the apostle Paul's teaching and, and others, the truths about Jesus, the meaning and significance of the life and desert, death and resurrection of Jesus and how that played out in their lives. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, right? This word fellowship, which is from the Greek word koinonia, which speaks to a shared life, a life where there's a sense of deep partnership and sharing. Right? Fellowship is a lot more than coffee and donuts, right? Fellowship is this deep connection where lives are intertwined and there's a deep sharing among God's people. They, developed, they devoted themselves to fellowship where they looked left and looked right and said, how can we help one another? This is not a solo effort. This is not just my life in Christ. It's a fellowship. It's a shared life together. They devoted themselves to that fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Yes, meals. There's something powerful that happens around a shared meal. When you eat with someone, there's a sense of intimacy and connection. They, they devoted themselves to that. And no doubt this included also the Lord's Supper or communion. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, that these early disciples committed themselves to sharing and remembering Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness of their sins. And lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. Right, to this intimate connection with God, ongoing conversation, both 
individually, but no doubt together. They devoted themselves to prayer, seeking out God's face and his strength and his wisdom and direction. Well, the, the following verses kind of expand on all these different areas. And we see that everyone was filled with awe and wonder at what was happening. And to the point that their lives were changed, that this fellowship was, they realized that they were in this together. And so they, they would sell what they had. They would give to one another. They would give to others. And in fact, as they continued in this life together, uh, we see that everyone was in awe and, that, and then they would gather and they would gather consistently. They would gather in the temple courts. They would gather in homes. They devoted themselves in a way. And so we see in this passage, uh, and then all the way in verse 47, what happened? They praised God and enjoyed the fear of all the people. And God added to their number daily, daily, those who were being saved, added to their number daily, those who were part of this fellowship and this powerful connection. Well, here in this passage, not only do we see their life together, but we see a set of practices, raw material for what I call a spiritual training plan. As we consider all the different truths from these prior weeks of, uh, as we need to slow down then to be with God, we need some type of plan, some type of intentional plan that we can devote ourselves to, to make ourselves available to God. Um, and in light of that, it's in that midst of that plan, in those practices, that's where God works. It's not that by working the plan or this training plan that we can force things to happen or that God, we force God to work in our life, but it's more that we put ourselves in a position for God to work on us. But the spiritual disciplines of the faith that's how they're described. Richard Foster, who's written The Celebration of Discipline and many others, he describes the spiritual discipline in this way. He says, the spiritual discipline is an intentionally directed action by which we do what we can do in order to receive from God the ability to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Let me read that again. A spiritual discipline is an intentionally directed action by which we do what we can do in order to receive from God the ability to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Right? So the spiritual disciplines of reading scripture, praying, serving, even fasting, right? ways of putting ourselves in, in a place where God can work on us. So the, in essence, there are things that we can do to allow God to work in us, to, to form in us things that we cannot do apart from him. So, for instance, right, the fruit of the Spirit, as we spend time with God, as we engage in these disciplines and these practices, God brings about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, and going on. Right? And the fact is we cannot, by our own effort, make ourselves more patient. Have you tried that? Say, I want to be more patient. I'll be patient faster, right? I mean, as I drive, I'm going to be patient faster. No, it doesn't work. You can't force patience. It's a work of God. So much of the Christian life, so much of having Christ formed in us, becoming more and more like Jesus, is less about us making it happen and more about us putting ourselves in a place to allow God to do the spiritual surgery on us to make us more like Jesus over time. And so over time, someone, as we follow Christ, would say, wow, that person's becoming more and more patient. Not because they've tried hard to become patient, but because God's done that in their life. In many ways, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness, is a divine trainer. And we have to make ourselves available to that divine trainer and his divine training. Our role, therefore, is to trust the trainer and also to trust the training or the plan that he has. Uh, makes me think of years ago where, um, in terms of running, some of you know I love running. 
I love, I love especially running outdoors, whether it's on trails in the woods or even in some urban context. I love running and discovering new territory. Less of a treadmill runner, more of an outdoor runner. I want to get out and get and see new things. But it wasn't always that way. In fact, I dreaded running. I shared that, some of that in an email I sent out earlier this week. I just, I dreaded running. And here's, here's the real reason why. I'm pulling back the curtain. Because growing up, watching my dad, my dad had a very funny way of running. And I would impersonate him here, but he's probably watching online and he'd give me, no, but the fact that, and I, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. And so I remember as a kid when I would run on the playground, my friends would just make fun of me. They're like, you run weird, dude. Like, you just really run weird. And I thought, I'm like, because oh, I run like my dad. So I, I was always like, I was embarrassed. I don't want to run. But I still found an enjoyment of running. And that's where years ago when a friend challenged me to run, I'm like, well, he's a, somewhat of a trusted person. He won't make fun of me, I thought. But I enjoyed running. <laughs> he kind of did a little bit. But in the fact that I enjoyed running. Uh, and I got into it. And I don't care what I look like when I run. I'm just going to run. So if you see me running around town, just honk your horn and be like, no. But the fact that, like... But then about eight, nine years ago, a friend Matt came up to me and said, you've been running 5Ks, even 10Ks. You should go for the half marathon. I'm like, oh, definitely not a marathon, but a half marathon, maybe. He said, you can do it with the right training. I'll give you the training plan. Now, this guy, Matt, was a runner. I trusted him. He's like, he gave me the plan. And so I engaged in this plan. And it, some of it didn't make sense in terms of the lengths of the runs. Or some days it was cross-training. Other days you would rest. And, and I didn't want to rest on some days. I'm like, I feel good. He's like, no, trust the plan. You have to rest to recover. Trust the plan. So the weeks would go by, and I'm like, I want to change it. He said, Jeff, trust the plan. And I trusted Matt because he was a prolific runner. And because I trusted Matt, I trusted the plan. And I remember as I was running, I'd sit there and say, trust the plan. Say those words with me. Trust the plan. And he said, look, the day before, he came up. He said, okay, tomorrow's the half marathon. He goes, you're going to start. You're going to have a ton of adrenaline. You're going to come out super fast. Don't do it. He said, trust the plan. Say those words. Trust the plan, right? And so then I'm going through the race. And he's like, and I remember him telling me the night before, he said, Jeff, when you get, not if, but when you get tired. Not if or when you start to cramp up. He's like, just remember you've trained. Remember how far you've come. He said, trust the plan. Trust. It was almost like I was running and there was Matt's head being like, trust. I'm like, I get it, I get it. You know, like, trust the plan over and over. But I made it all the way through that race, miraculously, because I trusted the plan. I think that's a picture of running the race of faith. As we go through it, God has given us practices in his word, ways that we could put ourselves in position for God to do some spiritual training in us, to do some spiritual surgery, to make us more and more like Jesus, to bring about the fruit of the spirit, ultimately, which makes us more like Christ. We have to trust the plan. And so if we're going to trust the plan, we have to create a plan. And every person's plan is going to be a little different. But it, I believe it includes these gifts that God's given to us, some of which we see in this passage in Acts chapter 2, where these early disciples devoted themselves, but they made it their number one priority. It wasn't what they did if they, if they had time or if they had energy or if they had. They said, this is going to be first in my life. Like Audrey prayed, putting Jesus back on the throne, saying, you're back on the throne, God. This is number one. And so devoting themselves to, to Scripture, right, to the apostles' teaching, devoting themselves to fellowship, right, the shared life with other Christians, to share, to, devoting themselves to the breaking of bread, shared meals, including the Lord's Supper as a church family, devoting themselves to prayer. Uh, so my invitation to you is to consider what does that look like in your life? 
What does it mean to devote yourself to these areas or to redevote yourself? Maybe you've kind of gotten behind. Maybe you've lost track of just having an open Bible and reading and, 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 and reading of God's Word. Maybe you've lost track of prayer. Maybe you've lost track of being in fellowship, especially until you have COVID and all that's happened, being in fellowship and deep connection with other Christians. God's inviting you to that type of training plan where you put yourself in a place for him to, to work on your heart, your soul, yes, your strength and your mind, all of it, so we can love him more deeply. And so I invite you to think about what that is, what that could look like. And honestly, we're going to come back to this at the turn of the year, but we have a couple weeks now to put this into practice. Let's not try and think for the rest of our lives. Let's keep this small. Right, for the next four to five weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, we have a chance to put this into practice. Typically, we think of Easter and Lent in terms of either giving up something or taking something on. I want us to think about this in the weeks leading up to Christmas Eve as we move towards celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, this miraculous surprise birth of the Son of God coming to be with us. In this season, right, as we're going to be pulled in so many different directions with a, maybe a million gatherings or all these different things that are happening, or maybe the sadness, the sadness of loss as we go through this season, as we reflect on years past, God wants you to meet with him. And I invite us to consider ways that we could use this season to intentionally develop some type of spiritual training plan to put ourselves in this place. So a couple examples would be commit to reading scripture every day. And I invite you to open up the beginning of each of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read about the birth of Christ, the beginning of his ministry. Pick something, maybe it's an Advent devotional, maybe it's something, and engage in scripture every day. Inclusive of that is prayer. You could pray at that time. One thing I like to do, and I'm going to have us do this probably more so next week, is to take our phone and set an alarm for 12.25 p.m. And in that, write the words, thank you, Jesus. And this has been a practice I've done for years, which interrupts my day leading up to Christmas on 12.25, right, December 25th, to say, I'm going to stop in the midst of all the Christmas craziness and simply say, thank you, Jesus, for coming to be with us. Um, that's one example. It's just something you can do. Um, and the week said, like I mentioned before, I invite you to consider what it means to offer yourself in terms of inviting people either to our church services or to Christmas Eve or ways to make our Christmas Eve uh, a very special time here as a church family. Whatever that is, to put together some type of plan and to stick with it. Um, as we think about in the weeks ahead, try it out. See what happens. So that by the time we get to December 24th, we're not just exhausted and tired from the Christmas season, but we're ready. We're ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus and to worship God in light of that. I want to give you one thing to remember, one thing to do, is, and a couple questions for reflection as we finish around this. Number one, in terms of one thing to remember, remember this, God provides all the grace that we need to deepen our relationship with him as we devote ourselves to a spiritual training plan. He provides all the grace that we need. So what's one thing to do is to devote yourself to a spiritual training plan to deepen your relationship with God. And to take a piece of paper and to maybe look at Acts 2, especially Acts 2.42, and think about what does it mean to devote yourself to, to reading Scripture, to devote yourself to the fellowship, devote yourself to the breaking of bread, to devote yourself to prayer. And for your, for your own life to say, what does that look like day to day, week to week? And to develop some kind of plan and to stick with it. And I would say with that alongside is devote yourself to the worship services with us here, whether in person or online, in the next 
four weeks in what's known you know, historically as Advent, right? These weeks leading up to Christmas Eve. As we enter into the sermon series next called Do Not Fear. As we look at how the hope of Christ, the, the peace of Christ, the joy of Christ, and the love of Christ can drive out fear. Devote yourself to worshiping together. Um, some questions for reflection as we consider this. What is an example in your life when you made a hard decision to devote yourself to something or someone for the greater outcome or good? Think about a time in your life where you've, you devoted yourself to something that was difficult um, and it led to something greater. Because true love requires sacrifice. Most good things in life require some type of sacrifice and they're hard, not easy. Consider something in your life that's an example. And then in light of that, to what extent have you considered the Holy Spirit to be the spiritual trainer who's working to transform you to be more like Jesus? Uh, maybe that's something you've never thought about before. I know for years not how I view the Holy Spirit as revealed in Scripture, but it's been super helpful to me to say, wow, I have a personal trainer, a personal spiritual trainer, the Holy Spirit, who lives in me and by the power of his word can help shape us, shape me to be more and more like Jesus. Lastly, I ask, how can I start or restart a spiritual training plan in the weeks ahead leading up to Christmas as a way to deepen my relationship with God? And look at each of those questions, because imagine if each of us did this. Right, for the next four to five weeks. So we're going to engage in some type of spiritual training plan, reading scripture, praying, offering ourselves in service. And then all the different things we've thought about in this deeper series, in terms of looking back and looking within, putting ourselves in a greater place for God to continue that deeper work in our lives um, going forward. Uh, may God bless you in that effort and uh, may his spiritual training uh, do that work of transformation. And my encouragement to you, exhortation to you, is to trust the plan. Say those words one more time. Trust the plan. God has a spiritual plan for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would do this mighty work, this supernatural work, a work that we cannot do on our own. God, you've called us to one step, and that's to respond to your amazing grace. And that step includes offering ourselves to you and saying, Lord, we put ourselves in a position for you to do that work. And that, God, that can happen through reading scripture. That can happen through prayer. That can happen as we commit to one another and, and service, love, and, and care. And so in the weeks ahead, Lord, help us to make some type of commitment or recommitment to you in this way. Trusting that you'll do a supernatural work. Trusting the trainer. Trusting the plan that that trainer provides. Show us that plan for each of us individually. Give us the courage and the grace to live into that plan. And we look forward to what you're going to do. We give ourselves to you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.